Imagine, if you can, being blind. In fact, having always been blind from the very day of your birth. Your infancy, your toddlerhood, your childhood, your adolescence, your coming of age, all lived in the blackest dark. Your experience of family, your understanding of your neighborhood, your outlook on the future, all utterly non-visual. Everything is touches and smells and sounds and textures and tastes. Not one part of your life has a pictorial reference. Frankly, this is difficult for us to understand. But let's try. And let's imagine just one day of it. You awake to the day, opening your eyes to the very same darkness in which you were just sleeping, and you feel to your left for the cloak you set out there. You put it on, feeling your way out into the two sleeves, and then you reach for the crust of bread you left out the night before. Then, opening your door, you smell and feel the city-smelling, cold-feeling air of Jerusalem on this particular morning. You trace your hand around the doorframe and then down along that left-hand side of the street, using the houses and buildings and storefronts as your reference. You come to the first intersection and cross carefully. Then a hard right across, and then you're tracing the left side of that perpendicular street's walls. Two blocks, three blocks, four. You have arrived at the square where you beg every day. You take up your location, facing southeastward, although directions matter very little without visual reference, and you listen to the sounds of all the passers-by. The morning sun feels warm against your face and body. The morning air is quite cool, and that's when you remember that you've forgotten to bring your bowl for begging. You had set it there right next to the crust of last night's bread, and you simply walked right out without remembering it. Unbelievable. You're here every day, always the same, and now you do this. And now you're sitting here considering whether it's worth your while to retrace your journey homeward to get the bowl, or whether in so doing you'll miss the rush of morning walkers. You are thinking about the pros and cons of each one. Wait, what was that? What was it that voice just said standing in front of you? You listen as he says what he said again. Master, the voice says, uh, standing not three feet away from you. Who sinned that this man is like this? Is his blindness the result of his own sin, or was it something his parents once did? You are now no longer thinking about your begging bowl. Instead, a spasm of, of cold, wrathful anger rises within you. You're almost sick with rage. And you are just about to rise to your feet, lurch unseeingly forward, try to attack the speaker of these words when you hear this. Neither. It was neither he nor they. No, the reason this man is blind is that you, that the whole world, may see the power of God at work in his life. We must do the work of God while we have the light. Darkness is coming, but I am the light of the world myself. You are sitting there, attempting to internalize what this means, trying to fit these strange words into any human understanding, but you find that, rather than caring about the meaning of these words, you are simply 
enchanted by the voice that spoke them. It is resonant and true and somehow glorious. It seems to sweep through the air with an air of final authority. And you are now wanting to talk with this person. Ask him a few more questions when you hear him clear his throat. Then he spits. You hear it hit the ground right beside you. Then, with a wave of fluttering clothing by the warmth and smell of approach into your personal space, you can tell that he has knelt down next to you. A moment slowly passes. Then, with not a word of explanation, with a touch that is both rough and yet somehow gentle, this person is putting his hands upon your closed eyelids. A layer of dust and mud is being applied to your eye sockets. Big, rough thumbs massage this mix into your eyelids. The voice again. Go to the pool of Siloam and wash that off. Then you shall see. Six and one half minutes later, you are splashing the waters of said pool against your face and your eyes. You rub them extra, a especially vigorously. And then you open them. You are fluttering your eyelids. And the light of the sun, the blue of the sky, the white of the clouds, the silhouette of the birds, the green of the distant hills, the shape and texture and height of the buildings nearby, the sunlit sparkle of the water, the golden brownish color of the cobbles, the look and style of all the robes and tunics of the crowd around you, All of this is now viewable by you. You are seeing. You see. Friends, the reason I chose this particular encounter is because before, during, and after, I think this is the closest approximation to all our initial experiences with Jesus. We were blind to God, to eternal life. We had a non-visual, whether it was auditory or internal, experience of him. He then opened our eyes to his wondrous way of salvation. That is the before and the during. But I think this blind man's experience after has also been many of our experiences afterward. Remember, in fact, do you remember what happens in the rest of that chapter? That was all from John 9. I'll remind you. Everyone is confused and even misidentifies the man. Like, is that him? Nah, couldn't be. Well, it sure looks like him. And initially, all he has is this sort of preposterously simple story. Well, the man Jesus came, he rubbed my eyes, I washed, and now I can see. And yes, there are gaps in his story, plenty he doesn't know yet. So where is he taken? Into religion and its certitudes, and also the annoyance that his simple story brings to all those certitudes. Yes, he's taken to the Pharisees. And what does he do there? Well, he tries to temper religion's reaction by taking on religion's own vocabulary. Do you remember? He says, well, I think he is a prophet. 
But does this formerly blind man really think this? It doesn't appear so, given what he'll later say. So then what next? Well, the dredging up of what I'll call the blind man's past. Here comes his parents. Certainly, everyone thinks, there must be some reasonable, logical, positive or negative explanation to be derived from his backstory. Not so much. So then comes what I'll call the religious reappraisal. The blind man is now ordered to conform his own experiences, simple story, to the acceptable means and ends of their cultural religiosity. Do you remember this? The Pharisees say, You should give God the glory for what has happened to you. We know that this man is a sinner. Which right there, right there, is actually the inflection point of John 9. The blind man can either buckle toward the norm, accept such verbiage, or he may simply resort to the truth of his simple story. And I love the way he takes that latter course. He says, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I couldn't tell. But one thing I am sure of, I used to be blind, now I can see. So, religion reopens the mechanics of the thing. But what did he do? How did he make you see? And now this blind man, the formerly blind man, I, I love this. He clings to his simplicity, but with just a little bit of an edge. I've told you before, weren't you listening? Why do you want to hear it all over again? Are you wanting to be his disciples too? And this is simply too far for religion. You're the one who's his disciple, they yell at him. And then we get to hear what I'll call the litany of their certitudes. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this man, we don't even know where he came from. And suddenly, something starts to happen in the formerly blind man. Revelation, independent of religion, seems to suddenly occur to him. Now, here's the extraordinary thing, he says. You don't know where he came from, and yet he gave me the gift of sight. Everybody knows that God does not listen to sinners. It is the man who has a proper respect for God and does what God wants him to do. He's the one God listens to. Why? Since the world began, nobody's ever heard of a man who was born blind being given his sight. If this man did not come from God, he couldn't do such a thing. Do you feel that? Like you can feel the way that the blind man's earlier talk of prophet is giving way to something higher, something far more heavenly. He is beginning to believe that that man, that voice, might just be the voice. So religion reacts as religion always reacts to the uncategorizable. You misbegotten wretch, i.e., you bastard. Are you trying to teach us? I talked a moment ago about the inflection point of the blind man's experience in this chapter, that moment when he must decide between recognizable religiosity and this whole new thing born of encounter. I would argue that this is still the inflection point of our spiritual journey. Any sense of 
quote, uh, let's call it Christian normalcy we carry with us is the degree to which we have yet to know Jesus. But here's what's truly lovely. Later that day, the blind man, fresh from being kicked out of the Pharisee's presence, walking along, and I have to imagine relishing the overwhelmingness of this new gift of sight, looks over and sees a man watching him. Perhaps he's standing at the corner of two streets, just letting everyone else pass by. He seems to be fixated upon our friend, the formerly blind man. He then approaches him with a high sense of familiarity. He is smiling, and then he speaks up. Do you believe in the Son of Man, he asks? The voice! The formerly blind man's eyes grow wide. Who is he, good sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. You have now seen him, says the other. He is the one who is talking to you right now. The formerly blind man falls upon his knees there in the roadway, and he hugs the legs of his healer. Lord, I believe, he shouts, believing. Can you see that? Can you picture that? Because, friends, that is the daily outcome available to every one of us when we move from our first encounter toward the second. When we guard our hearts from the world, from religion, from our past, and accept nothing but the simplicity that Jesus is everything. When we allow the voice to truly become the man. When our hearts are set upon nothing but he himself. My friends, he has already come. He has already encountered every single one of us. Will we let him do it again? Thanks for listening.